The first personal gift given to us in Jesus is the gift of a wonderful counselor. This message is the second in the series, The Gifts of Christmas. The message is entitled, The Gift of Hope. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to talk to you as we're continuing this series together about the gifts of Christmas. I'd like to talk to us this weekend about the gift of something that is so vital to all of our lives, and that's the gift of hope. The gift of hope. About 700 years before Jesus was born, as we talked about last weekend, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah, and Isaiah was moved on by the Holy Spirit to give a prophetic statement regarding the coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, uh, the prophet Isaiah is known as the Messianic prophet. He's the one that gives us so many prophecies related to Christ. He's the one that gives us that wonderful prophecy in Isaiah 53 that points to his death and resurrection and so many other prophetic statements. But here we find one related to the birth of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah says, I'm going to speak to you about a coming thing that I see in the future. A child is going to be born. A child will be given to us. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. As we talked about last weekend, that gift, that coming Messiah, as as Isaiah was prophesying, was a gift given to us, unto us, unto you and me. And so it's a gift that has your name on it and my name on it. And then he identifies this gift with four very important titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's see if we can say those together. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So here's this gift given to us, and perhaps the best way that I can describe it, maybe you've ever you had the situation before when uh, you've, you've opened up a present, it's like a big box, and you open it up, and there's another box in that box, and there's another box in that box, and you finally get down to the final box, and there are sort of multiple boxes in one box. And that's sort of the way I'm describing this tonight. There's, there's the gift of Christ the Messiah, but as he comes to us, he comes to us with four expressions. Wonderful counselor, that is in the one box of Jesus Messiah. There's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He comes packaged in that one packaged Messiah. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks together, and as we'll look at on Christmas Eve, especially together as well, we're going to talk about this whole idea of what's in this package, who he is. And tonight, I want to talk to you for a few moments about Jesus, the wonderful counselor. And what we need to understand about Jesus as our wonderful counselor, because to understand Jesus as our wonderful counselor is to understand the gift of hope, because through counsel, we're able to experience hope and healing in our lives. And there are several things I'd like to share with you, actually three things I want to share with you this evening that will help you to understand and to unwrap this gift of Christmas, this gift of Christ, this gift of Messiah, this expression that was identified to us with this royal title, Wonderful Counselor, and how this applies to us. Number one, I want you to remember this evening, all of us together, this is an application to each of us because everybody needs a counselor. If you think you don't need a counselor, you don't know yourself very well. All of us need a counselor. 
We need a relationship with a counselor because a counselor is the one who has the capacity. Let's think of it just in the natural world today. The, a counselor is someone who has the ability to listen to you and to help you and to heal you, to restore your soul, to help you reach your highest possibility and potential in life. This counselor, this idea or concept of counselor, we sometimes use the word therapist to describe counseling. It is someone that brings a therapeutic benefit to your life, especially to your soul. He's the wonderful counselor. A counselor is someone that will help you in a very personal way. And all of us need a counselor. We need a counselor because we need therapeutic intervention in our life by God. We need God's help at a very deep level of our soul because in our soul, there's some things that need to be addressed in each of our souls. I'm going to give you several reasons, actually five reasons why everybody needs a counselor. You need a counselor, number one, because internally you and I are bent. We have a bent to our nature. What I mean by that is we're bent the wrong way. We're bent towards sin. We're bent toward rebellion against God. We're all sinners by nature. We're also sinners by nurture. We are sinners by the fact that we're born into this world as, a, as people who are contradictory to God and in rebellion to God by our very nature, sinful nature, but also we're raised in a sinful world. And so by nurture, we're also exposed to sin as well and the influences around us. We're influenced by sinful people in a sinful world, and we are sinful people ourselves. And left to ourselves, we grow in the wrong direction, just like a tree that is bent very early on, and it's bent in some direction, it will continue to grow in that direction without some kind of intervention. And if you and I are not intervened in by the holy counselor, the wonderful counselor, we will continue to live life. There are many people who've lived for years bent in the wrong direction because they haven't met the wonderful counselor, and the wonderful counselor is the one that can straighten you out. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray, gone away, one translation says, the New Living Translation we have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus came to be our wonderful counselor because every one of us, we're bent in the wrong direction. Number two, the reason that you and I need a counselor is because by nature, not only are we bent in the wrong direction, we're also foolish. We have a foolish streak in all of us. If we had time this evening, and if you're willing to do so and be vulnerable enough to do so, all of us could tell our foolish stories, couldn't we? If you have a foolish story to tell, a couple of you do. <laughs> Stories of when you just weren't thinking the right way and you, you kind of made some decisions in your life. You look back on now and you really regret that part of your life and there was a foolish moment. Why? Because you were, you were not filled with the wisdom of God. Everyone at certain points in life will act foolishly and think foolishly and speak foolishly because we are uneducated in life principles. We're uneducated in how we're to really live life. We don't know how to live life the effective way or God's way. Proverbs 28 verse 26 says, those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. And so we have these problems. We're bent, and so we need a counselor to help straighten us out. We are by nature foolish, and we tend to live life uh, based upon our own ideas rather than God's. And the third reason why you and I need a counselor, everybody does, is because we're internally broken. There's not a whole person among us no matter how healthy emotionally you might be, there's still places in all of us and spiritually that need to be fixed and need to be mended because of the reason of sin and 
the mistakes and foolish things we've done through our lives, it leaves us broken. People leave us broken. We're bruised, we're crippled, we're lame, we're disabled, if you will, emotionally and spiritually, relationally sometimes. Many people are going through life traumatized and insecure and fearful on the inside. We all have broken souls. Every one of us have a broken place in our soul that only can be healed by Almighty God. We have brokenness inside of us, and so we need the wonderful counselor. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. These are the words that Jesus spoke uh, in Luke chapter 4 when he begins his ministry, but Isaiah gave them to us inspired by the Holy Spirit, and these are the, this is the ministry of Jesus. Jesus speaks, in fact, as, he, as I said of himself in Luke 4, these same words, the Spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. The Bible says of Jesus, he came to mend or comfort or put back together, therapeutically intervene in the human soul to help your soul find wholeness again, to take those broken places and begin to mend them. There are many of us here tonight that we can testify to the fact that When we came to Christ, we had a whole bunch of brokenness in us, brokenness in the way that we thought and brokenness in the way that we lived our lives and that over time, little by little, Jesus has begun to put our lives back together again and nobody here is perfectly whole yet, but we're in the process. We're better than we used to be and we're not as good as we're going to be, but Jesus is the one that brings healing to the broken soul. Number five, or number four, I should say, why do you need a counselor? Everybody needs a counselor. Why? Because you live life oftentimes very burdened. You don't need to raise your hand on this, but how many of you are carrying a burden in your life right now? There's something that's weighing you down and something that is twisting you up on the inside. There's a weight upon your life that you feel like you just cannot handle by yourself. And you don't always have people that you can talk to about those things you're walking through in life. And so we live life with a, with a, Weighed down, I might say, in your heart and weighed down in your mind. And sometimes we're weighed down by unholy things. And sometimes we're weighed down by unhealthy thoughts and things about God and about ourselves and about other people. And that's why Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, let, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitude. Only God can get inside of you and renew you in your thoughts and in your attitudes and help you find relief from the burdens in your life. Everybody needs a counselor. The fifth reason that we need a counselor is because we're all blinded. We're oblivious many times to our spiritual problems and our spiritual needs. And by the way, as we get into the new year, I'm planning a new series of messages for 2020 right now that will start our year out. And I really encourage you to even make plans now to be a part of it. We're going to talk about 2020 vision. How does God improve the way that you see? And how does he help us take the blinders off of our life? We're going to have a time of fasting that will be a part of this, so vital to us. But let me talk about this in today's context that we, we live our lives oftentimes blind and oblivious to our own spiritual problems and our own spiritual needs. There's a church called the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, and Jesus reminds them of how blinded they were, as often we have to be reminded as well. Jesus says to them, yet you say, there's this church at Laodicea, this is what they were saying about themselves, you say I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched and pitiful, poor, and what's the next word? blind and naked. You don't see the blindness in your own life. That's one of the characteristics of blindness. You don't see your blindness. You just can't see what you don't see. 
And so Jesus comes in as this wonderful counselor, as this gift from God, and everybody needs one. Everybody needs a counselor. And that's why this gift is so valuable to you and to me. The second thing that I want to share with you this evening is that this wonderful counselor has, has a couple of things I want to talk about. He has extraordinary qualities and extraordinary abilities. Isaiah, when he was moved on by the Holy Spirit to give this title to Jesus as wonderful counselor, he could have just said he comes as the counselor, but he didn't just say he comes as the counselor. He said he comes as wonderful counselor. He added an adjective to it. Why? Because counselor would not have been complete enough to describe Jesus' ministry. He says, yes, he's a counselor, but I need to give you a word before counselor so you understand what I'm really meaning here. He, he's the wonderful counselor. See, in the human world, some counselors are better than others. Some counselors can help you, and some counselors actually make your problems worse, okay? Some counselors are better than others, and so even in the human realm, we know a a good counselor from a not-so-good counselor, and so Isaiah, moved on by the Holy Spirit, says, I want you to know something about about Jesus. I want you to know that he's, he's a wonderful counselor, he uses actually a Hebrew word in this particular setting that, that goes beyond just even what we would think of in terms of wonderful, because you might use that word in, in very casual ways. Oh, it was a wonderful meal, I had a wonderful time. We use that word a lot of times in different ways, but this is a unique Hebrew word. The Hebrew word that's used here for wonderful means he's extraordinary. He is a miraculous counselor. Actually, that's what the meaning of the Hebrew word means. He's miraculous. He's the kind of counselor that can do miracles in your life. He's the kind of counselor that is extraordinary. He doesn't match up with any human counselor. He is the wonderful counselor. Why? Because he has extraordinary, miraculous qualities and abilities. I'm I'm getting pretty excited thinking about Jesus tonight. How about you? Are you? Okay. Who is he? He's the the wonderful counselor. Why is that important? Because everybody needs one. You need a counselor. I need a counselor. He's a wonderful counselor because he has all these tremendous abilities and qualities that are wonderful. They're, they're extraordinary. They're miraculous. Let me give you five, just five. I could give you 50, probably 100, 150, probably 500 qualities that we could talk about tonight. I'm going to give you five that help you to understand how wonderful of a counselor Jesus is. See, if you think about the kind of person that you want to entrust yourself to as a counselor, I guarantee you want somebody that has at least these five qualities. Number one, you want to make sure they're compassionate, and Jesus is compassionate. Because when you've got stuff going on in your life, you don't, need, you, don't need a, you don't need someone that's going to hammer you. You need somebody that's going to love you, right? You don't need someone to tell you everything that's broken in your life when you're, you know you're broken. And so what you need is someone that can show you the pathway to healing, and they can reach out with compassion and kindness. And I want to remind you this evening that Jesus is the wonderful counselor because he loves you. He loves you beyond anything that you can imagine. He's moved by the problems. He's moved by the pain in your life. He's not there to condemn you. He is there to help you. He has compassion towards you. So anytime that Jesus sees a broken person, Jesus does not come at that person with condemnation. He comes at that person with compassion to reach to them. I'm so grateful for that because that's how he reaches me and that's how he reaches you. The second quality that is so valuable in Jesus, it makes him the wonderful, extraordinary, miraculous counselor as he is available and he's attentive. You can get an appointment with him anytime. See, human counselors are limited. They're only limited by time and, and, and availability. He's just a human person. But Jesus is the high priest of our confession. He is the wonderful counselor. So there's never, I've talked to him at two in the morning. How about you? 
I've talked to him at five in the afternoon. I've talked to him at noon. I've talked to him at eight o'clock in the morning. I've talked to him many different times of the day. Why? Because he's always available. I, he's always ready to receive my call. He's always ready to respond to me. He's attentive. He listens to me when I talk to him. He has the capacity. I mean, think about the listening ministry of Jesus. We often think about the, of the active ministry of Jesus, but think about the listening ministry of Jesus. How many times does he listen to you? When you're pouring out the deepest pain of your heart or the deepest challenges of your life, he doesn't say, hey, would you really hurry up? I got other things going on here. No, he'll listen to you for as long as you want to talk. He's available. He has this attentiveness to you. And then number three, he's trustworthy. Let me say that again. What is he? He's trustworthy. That's why he's a wonderful counselor. You can trust him. You can trust his motives. You can trust his intentions. They're always focused on what is good for you. He never seeks your harm. He always seeks your good. Jesus never has another agenda for you. He only has one agenda for your life, and that agenda for your life is to do good to you, to help you to experience the best for your life. Jesus is never trying to put you down. Jesus is trying to bring you up into the fullness of what God has planned for your life. And so you can trust him. He never seeks your harm. He will only seek your good. Let me give you two more. You ready for two more? Number four, he's competent. He's a competent counselor. There is, listen, there is no case that is too difficult for him. You might look at your life as I've looked at mine from time to time, and it seems like your problems are like a big mash of a spaghetti bowl, and they're all kind of twisted together, and you can't tell one end from another. You don't even know where to start. If somebody were to ask you, tell me about your problems, you wouldn't know which end to pull on because you have so many of them all wrapped up together. Do you know what I'm talking about? You have all this stuff going on inside of you. You don't even know what emotions you're feeling or what you're dealing with in your life. But Jesus has the ability to take the most tangled webs and the most difficult circumstances and the most challenging ways of thinking and the most messed up, uh, stinking thinking that people can have in life and brokenness of life. And he's able to competently, like a very skilled psychotherapist and spiritual uh, helper and healer in our lives, he's able to take all those pieces and bring them back together, bring order in the midst of our chaos, he is competent. He knows exactly what to do and exactly what to say and exactly when to do it and exactly how to say it. He is absolute wisdom. Our counselor is competent. And the last one I'll give you here before we move on to some examples of this in Scripture, he's committed. He will stay with you as long as it takes. That should have gotten a little bit of an amen right there. Okay, So it's... He will stay with you as long as it takes to get you where you need to be in life. He doesn't give you a timeline and say, by the way, if you don't get done by Friday, we're done here. I've got other things to do. He says, I'm with you through the process. I'm with you. I'm committed to you. I'll help you. I I'll help you become everything that God created you to be. I'm never going to give up on you. God is, listen to me tonight. God will never give up on you. He's de he has determined to complete the good work he began in you, okay? He will never give up on you. I want you to say with me together, God will never give up on me. Say it together, God will never give up on me. Now, that doesn't mean that you should do your best to try his patience, no, okay? You should cooperate with him as much as possible and get the job done as quick as you can in terms of God's growth and work in your life. But what I want you to know is that he is committed to you. He's going to stay with you. He's never going to give up on you. There are a lot of different passages that we can look at in Scripture that help us to see this. Let me give you just a couple of examples. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Listen to this. 
I want you to see the heart of Jesus, the, these tremendous qualities and abilities in him. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Let me stop there for a moment. So the story right now is about Matthew, who will eventually become one of his disciples, but Matthew was a tax collector. No one in, in, in Israel's history at that time was more despised than tax collectors. They're despised because they worked for Rome. They didn't work for, for, the, for their fellow Israelites. They worked for Rome. And so they would contract with Rome to collect a certain amount of taxes every year. And then they, would, they were basically left to their own discretion in terms of how much tax they would charge to people. And so whatever in and above they could, they could garner to themselves above what they owed to Rome became theirs. And so, of course, they're extorting people and doing all kinds of terrible things to get more money for themselves. You might recall a man by the name of Zacchaeus, right, who was a chief tax collector. He was, in fact, he was a guy that made all kind of benefit off of his fellow Jews. And so the Jews hated tax collectors. They were considered to be very evil people, didn't even care for their own brothers, and their brothers didn't care for them. So here is Jesus walking along, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. And notice this, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So now Jesus is reaching out to somebody else, nobody, to some, someone nobody else even liked, right? Nobody else wanted to be around this guy. Everybody thinks of him as the scum of the earth, but Jesus points him out and says, hey, why don't you come follow me, and I want you to be my disciple, I love this. So Matthew got up and followed him. This must have been something amazing about Jesus for Matthew just to leave his tax collecting job in that moment, just get up and immediately start following Jesus. What an amazing moment. <coughs> Later, Matthew invited Jesus <coughs> and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other dis dis disreputable sinners. And notice this. Are you hearing this? Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many, what else? tax collectors. So now we've got a whole bunch of these dudes in the room, okay, that nobody else liked, nobody wanted to be around, and other disreputable sinners. Think about this. So Jesus is now having dinner with a lot of really bad people from the world's perspective. This should give you some hope in just a moment, okay? But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? That was their perspective of this group of people. When Jesus heard this, he said, notice what he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Now, we could, there's a lot we could talk about there. He's saying these Pharisees, healthy people don't need a doctor. You think you're healthy. You're really sick, but you think you're healthy, so you're not seeking out the doctor. But sick people know they're sick, and they're coming to the doctor. There are a lot of people who think they're healthy, but they're really sick. The Pharisees were very sick, but they thought they were healthy. They had this religious mindset about them. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want to show you what? Mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I love that. This is the competent nature of Jesus as a counselor. Would you not be comfortable around a guy like that? Okay. Let's go to John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there's in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonies. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and they waited for the moving of the waters from time to time. An angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters, the first one to the pool, after each, each such disturbance would be cured and of whatever disease they had. 
One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Let's stop there for a moment. Jesus is at the Pool of Bethesda. You can still go there today and you can see the, the ruins of the Pool of Bethesda. All these colonnades, there's sick people everywhere. I mean, there could have been hundreds of sick people there that day. And Jesus sees this one guy and he finds that this guy has been in this condition for 38 years. He's been sick for almost four decades and he focuses his attention on this one man lying there paralyzed, having been in that condition for such a very long time. And he looks at him and he asks him a question, do you want to get well? There's a lot of aspects to that, that, that question that we could talk about, but here's one angle I'd like for you to think about with me tonight. When he said, do you want to get well? I believe the very thing he was trying to put into that man's heart was hope. Do you believe there's a possibility that your life can be different? Do you believe that you can come up out of this thing that has had you on, on the ground for 38 years? Do you believe that, that I can do something different for your life? In that moment, that one question was designed for a lot of different reasons, I believe, but I believe it was designed for one reason, that was to put hope into his heart that, you know what, I'm here now and your life can be different. Do you want to get well? Would you like to get well? Think about that in your own life. If you've been lying there for 38 years and someone who had the power to heal you asks you, would you like to get well? Suddenly hope begins to rise in your heart. Let's take a look at what happens here. Verse seven, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. That, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. There's another whole story about that. I want to take you to one last passage before, actually two last passages before we go to our final point here tonight. I want you to see this. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Read it together with me. Let's all read aloud and loudly. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Now read boldly this next verse. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want you to notice that in verse 16, if it's on your notes, I'm not sure if it is, but if it is on verse 16, would you circle this word that is found there twice, and that is the word grace. Let us then approach the throne of grace. What kind of throne is it? When you're in trouble, what kind of throne do you need? Grace. A throne of grace. And do it with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Twice in that passage, the writer of Hebrews, moved by, moved by the Holy Spirit, reminds us that this counselor is a counselor of grace. He brings great grace to us. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows how we hurt. He knows the pain that we go through. He knows the challenges and the pain of our life. Matthew 12, verse 20, I love this verse, one of my favorite verses about the ministry of Jesus. And it says of him, he, Jesus, will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. One translation says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed, or as it says here in the New Living Translation, the weakest reed he's not gonna crush. This is why you can trust the counselor that when you come to him with the 
brokenness of your life, he's, his throne is a throne of grace and he wants to give you mercy and grace to help you in your need because he loves and cares. He's the wonderful counselor, right? Is that what Isaiah said, right? He's the wonderful counselor. What makes him so wonderful? This is what makes him so wonderful. That when you're all messed up and you're broken and you're hurting, you have stuff going on in your life that you can't figure out or fix yourself, you come to him and the Bible says that a, a bruised reed, a, a broken reed, he will not break. That is, if you're already broken, he's not going to make your life worse. He's going to make your life better, okay? See, a lot of people, if they find you down, they want to stamp you down further. You ever notice that by people, okay? If you're already down, they want to push you down as far as they possibly can and stand on top of you and claim a triumph in their life. But not Jesus. When he finds you down, he looks for a way to do what? To prop you back up so you can grow. When he looks at your life and he sees the flick of your, the, the, the wick of your life flickering and just barely making any smoke, any fire at all, instead of snuffing it out and says, there's no hope for that person, they're done, he does everything he can to nurture that flame back into full, full vitality once again. This is, the, this is the Messiah that we serve. This is the wonderful counselor. This is the one that we come to. This is who Jesus is. He never presses down those who are already presses, pressed down. He brings them back up. He is extraordinary. He is miraculous. He is the wonderful counselor. Now, let me give you the final point. Aren't you glad about this gift tonight? <clears throat> this is an amazing gift. He says a wonderful counselor. Everybody needs one. If you don't know you need one, you need to realize you need one. Everybody needs a counselor, okay? Everybody does. And we need a wonderful counselor. That's who Jesus is. He shows us his abilities, his qualities. And here's your third point. To benefit from Jesus' counsel, we have to cooperate with him. You gotta cooperate with him. The best counselor can only help you if, if you, if you if you cooperate with him. You have to cooperate with him. The best doctor can't help you if you don't take the medicine, Right? It's impossible to get well if you don't do what the physician is telling you to do, what the healer is trying to help you to do. And so Jesus will never force his way into your life to be your counselor. He will not do that. And so if you're going to benefit from the counsel of Jesus, you and I have to do our part. We have to do our part. And I'm going to conclude by giving you four things that you've got to do. If you want to experience this wonderful counselor in your life, there's four basic things that you have to do to experience him in your life. Number one, basic bottom line, you have to receive him into your life. You can't experience a counselor if you don't have the counselor inside of you. You gotta receive him into your heart. You receive him by faith. You welcome him into your life. And as we talked about last weekend, by the way, uh, last weekend, I think we had almost 70 people who gave their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ last weekend. Isn't that amazing, okay? Incredible. But what I want to say is this, maybe you haven't done that, but this is something everybody, ha if you want the counselor in your life, you've got to invite him in your life. He'll never force his way in. And that's why you have to say, Jesus, I, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I'm a broken person. I need you. And I want you to come into my life. Revelation 3.20, I quote, quote it regularly. Jesus says, look, I've been standing at the door and I'm constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. If, Jesus is, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, I'm telling you what he's doing right now. He's knocking this evening on the door of your heart. He's saying, I'm knocking, I'm knocking. I will not push your door down, but I'm knocking, I'm knocking. And when you open the door, I promise you, I will come in and we can have a relationship together. But you have to receive him. The second thing you have to do is you have to open up to him. Once you receive him, you have to open to him. You have to open to him your, your sin, your pain, your brokenness, your guilt, your shame. And you have to open it to him without any kind of reservation. 
You've got to let him into the ugly places of your life. You've got to let him into the selfish places of your life. You've got to let him into the hurting places of your life. You've got to trust him enough to open up to him and make your life of it. God, Jesus, I'm now opening every part of my life to you. I love John 6, verse 37. Those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never... What does it say? I will never what? Well, I couldn't, I couldn't talk to God about that. That's the, that's the worst part of my life. You better talk to God about that, okay? That's the very thing you need to talk to God about because you can be safe with him. He's never gonna re- reject you at all, the Bible says. The third thing you've gotta do, we have to do, and this is the, we're getting down into more of the nitty-gritty at this point. We have to learn to listen to him. At some point in time, in a, in a good counseling session, you gotta stop doing all the talking. At some point, you gotta do some of the listening, Amen? If you're doing all the talking all the time, all you're doing is listening to yourself. You're not getting any help in your life. So as a point, you need to do the talking and open up your heart to God. There's also a point that you start learning to listen to him. And the word, actually, the word listen is found over 332 times in the NIV Bible. That's almost one for every day of the year. It's like God every day, listen, 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 listen. Jesus has something to say to you. You know, Jesus has something to say to you, and he speaks to you first and foremost through his word, and I've told you this before, you, you don't, when it comes to hearing God's voice, please don't get weird. Too many people get weird when they start talking about hearing God's voice, and God's talking to them through this, and God's talking, no, God talks to you through this, okay? This is how God talks, this is his letter, he, he spent, his, his blood was shed so that we could get this book called the Bible, and this book called the Bible is, is God's word to you. It's God's, God's heart given to you, and so we've got the word of God before us, and it's been given to us. He'll speak to you by his spirit through his word, and there are times he'll speak to you and reemphasize in your spirit things that are found clearly in his word, but his word, his spirit will counsel you. They will make you wise. It will help you to know what to do and what not to do. They'll show you how to live. doesn't mean you're going to get it right all the time, but you need to get in that system of saying, God, I'm trying to listen to you. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Luke 9, 35, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. What are the next three words? What? Listen to him. Last word I'll give you here is follow him. Listen to him and then follow him. That is, follow the instructions. Follow what his word says. See, hearing doesn't always translate into doing. All your parents said amen, right, okay? You tell your kids things. They hear it, but they don't do it, right? Clean up your room, clean up your room, and then you come back, the room's not clean. Did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. You didn't do anything, right? Because hearing and doing, we think that even in church, we think because we heard it, we did it. But see, just because you heard it doesn't mean that you do it. Hearing and doing, following the instructions are two different things. Hearing wisdom doesn't always translate into living wisely. A lot of people who hear wisdom, but it doesn't translate into necessarily living wisely. So we have to learn to follow instructions. So you can, you can do things, you, you, can't, you can't do without hearing, but you, you can hear without doing. This is the key I want you to see. And the healing transformation is in the doing. Let me give you one last illustration of this, and then I'll read you one final verse. The last illustration is an Old Testament illustration. It's found in the book of 2 Kings. And in this book, there's a man by the name of Naaman. And Naaman is a Syrian. He's a commander, very highly placed man, but he contracts leprosy. He lives in Syria. 
and he learns through a little Israeli lady who's living uh, there in his house as a servant that there's a prophet in, in Israel by the name of, uh, of Elisha. And she tells him, if you'll go see Elisha, and the God of Israel can heal you. And so here's Naaman, who has this terrible disease called leprosy, no cure for, and he gets, gets this message, if I go down to Israel from Syria and I'll find Elisha, there's a God in Israel that can heal me. And so he goes down with his entourage and makes it to the king of Israel and ultimately to Elisha's house. And he knocks on the door, if you will, of Elisha's house on the gate, and, and Elisha sends his servant out to him. Elisha doesn't even go out himself. He sends his servant out. You can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 5. And the servant of Elisha goes out with the instructions of Elisha for, for, for Naaman. Okay. And the instructions were this. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be healed. Okay. Seven times in the Jordan River you'll be healed. And Naaman, he was a big shot in, in Syria. And so he was really offended, that, first of all, that Elisha didn't come. Okay. Because my goodness, I thought Elisha would at least come and wave his hand over me or something and say some words and I'd get healed. So he had this expectation of what Elisha was going to do. So Elisha didn't meet his expectations. He's mad at Elisha. And he's also mad about the instructions. Like, what do you mean go to the Jordan? The Jordan River is a nasty, muddy old river. We've got a bunch of rivers in Syria that are a whole lot better than the Jordan River. Why don't I go to the Jordan River and dip myself seven times? It's crazy. And so he gets all mad about this. And up, so you can read about it. very interesting story to read about in 2 Kings chapter 5. And he gets all frustrated. Finally, this guy says, hey, you know, if, the, if the, his servants around him say, hey, Naaman, you know, if, if he told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Naaman says, yeah, whatever. So why don't you just go? Just go try it. Just go try. Master, would you just go try it? And so Naaman goes and he, and he, he does, he follows the instructions. Say that word with me, that phrase. He follows the instructions. After much debate and much Resistance, he follows the instructions. Now let's see what happens in 2 Kings 5, 14. Why don't you read it with me? It'll help my voice. You ready? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. All it took for his healing to come is he simply had to follow the instructions, right? Can you imagine him going down, dipping in the water? The first time he dips down, he comes back up. He looks just as leprous as he had been before. And he does it six more times and or five more times and, and still the same thing. But on the seventh time when he came up, when he completed the instructions, everybody say complete the instructions. Okay. You got to follow the instructions, but you also have to complete the instructions, okay? And once he had completed the instructions, he came up as a new man. His flesh was like the flesh of a little boy, and his life was restored and changed. In fact, his faith was changed because from that time on, he worshiped the God of Israel instead of the gods of Syria again. It's so vital that you and I learn that as God begins to talk to us and help us to grow, and we begin to learn his word, that's why you need to be a disciple of Jesus, not just a church attender, but a disciple of Jesus. How can I learn the ways of God in my life, and how can I grow, and how can I mature, and how can I have a mature mindset about how I'm living my life? As I begin to grow, and I begin to learn more about his instruction, that's when the healing of the counselor begins to work inside of me. James 1.22 but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. I'm so glad that when Jesus was born, there's a big old gift box. And I say, unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. There's a big gift here. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. When you open up that gift, you're going to discover something incredible. 
the first thing you're going to discover is a wonderful counselor. And everybody needs one. And when you begin to relate to Jesus, you'll find out how wonderful he is, that he's supernatural in the way that he touches lives. He's competent in the way that he helps us to deal with issues in our life. And then as you learn to cooperate with him, you'll begin to experience the healing that only the wonderful counselor can bring. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, we're grateful tonight for the word of God. We're so thankful for you speaking to us. We ask you to take this message. And Lord, I pray it would put hope in somebody's heart tonight. Lord, that's the title of tonight's message. It's the gift of hope. Lord, sometimes we get weighed down by the stuff going on in our lives and we just kind of lose hope. We're kind of like the guy at the Pool of Bethesda. We just, we've been here so long in such a situation for such an extended time that we wonder, will it ever change? But Lord, thank you that you found that one guy at the Pool of Bethesda who had probably been there the longest of anyone that was there and you gave hope to him. And I pray you'll give hope to every person here tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. For that, we thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm gonna give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.